0: Are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Well, I was driving with my kids when the news came on this week that the presidential turkeys had been pardoned. You know, I wouldn't have thought twice about hearing something like this on the radio, but when you have kids in the car who are hearing this for the first time, well, there's lots of questions about these turkeys and being pardoned, and what does all this mean? So there I was struggling to explain why a president would pardon a turkey and why such a thing is newsworthy to begin with. All I knew as I made my way through an explanation was that, you know, before Thanksgiving, there is an official pardoning of a Thanksgiving turkey or two so that they will not end up on the dinner table. And this year's pardon went to a pair of turkeys named Peanut Butter and Jelly from Jasper, Indiana. But my kids' questions got me thinking, so I looked up a little bit more background on this. The Thanksgiving pardon has been an annual event since... 1989, and George H.W. Bush. Now before that, there were occasional turkey pardons that would happen, and yet it wasn't annual, and that was because there was this long-standing tradition of farms near the White House across American history that would gift turkeys to sitting U.S. presidents. So going back to the 1870s, there was a farmer in Rhode Island named Horace Vos, probably the most famous Farmer who did this, he gifted a turkey to the president every year for 40 years. And of course, many of those turkeys ended up on the dinner table, but the pardoning kind of developed later on. And yet, the first recorded incident of something like this happened under President Lincoln in 1863, and it was actually leading up to Christmas. And the president had been given a turkey for Christmas, but his son Tad. Who was 10. Have you heard about Tad Lincoln? They called him the tyrant of the White House. (laughs) Tad made friends with the turkey and he gave it a name. You're always in trouble when you name it. It was named Jack, and he even trained Jack the turkey to follow him around the White House grounds. And so then it was Christmas Eve that President Lincoln informed his son that Jack was no longer going to be a pet but was needed for Christmas Day dinner. Tad burst into tears and begged his dad to let the bird live, and the president relented and even wrote a clemency card and handed it to his son, Tad, for the turkey. So here we are today, peanut butter and jelly have been pardoned, and they'll live out their days on the educational farm at Purdue University. And here you and I are, Thanksgiving 2021. Though it's been another challenging year in our nation and in the world, we realize that we do have much to be thankful for. And so today we look at Romans 11 to prepare our hearts for this week and to give voice to our praise. We officially wrapped up our study of Romans last Sunday, and yet I had wanted to save this passage from Romans 11 for Thanksgiving. Because as we read it, it is very much a thanksgiving kind of passage. And Paul arrives here at the conclusion of some of the most difficult, complicated chapters in all of his writing. Romans 9 through 11. And I want to suggest here that perhaps this functions as a metaphor for you and I. What I mean by that is you may find yourself in one of the more difficult and complicated seasons in your life. And yet what an opportunity that it would also lead us to praise. I don't know if you're feeling cheery or optimistic as we head into this Thanksgiving this year or perhaps you're feeling very discouraged or afraid. And yet we see the testimony throughout scripture that recalling the goodness of God and giving thanks even in hard times is the sign of intimacy with God, of true trust, of a deeper faith, as we engage this text. The passage has a clear beginning, a middle, and an end. And Paul starts by saying that the ways of God are wonderful, which we find in verse 33. If you look at that with me. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. This verse literally starts with an O. It starts with a wow. In Greek, it is a letter omega that appears there at the beginning of the verse. And we have to remember Paul is dictating this letter. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That he has a secretary seated at the desk. And I imagine Paul dictating this to Tertius, his secretary, and he's pacing the living room. And he's just completed three of the most difficult and profound chapters. And he's so overcome by who God is that he's got his hands on his head and he just says, oh, the depth of the riches. That's where Paul is at as he paces that living room. He's saying, wow. Have you ever had a wow God moment in your life? I hope maybe you've had a bunch. I hope that you've seen a sunset that has made you say wow to God. I hope that you have seen God intervene in a situation so powerfully, so undeniably, that it would make you say wow. Look what God has done. And I hope that above all, the knowledge of your salvation, that God came for you, That He rescued you. That He has given you abundance of life and all of eternity to be with Him in heaven. That that would cause each one of us to just hit us sometimes and we go, it's amazing that God loves me like that. That I am cherished and forgiven and chosen as a child of the Most High God. What is the wow factor that will have you marveling in God this week. Thanksgiving is a great week for it. Paul says in this passage that for him in this moment it's the depth of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. Those two things. When I was a kid I loved the ball pit at places like McDonald's, Chuck E. Cheese, wherever it was. If there was a ball pit my shoes were off and I was in it. I was jumping in. And I can't imagine they're very sanitary but you know when you're Eight years old, you're not thinking about that, and all of these plastic balls would just envelop you in the feeling of sinking down into the ball pit. Paul has jumped into the depth of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. And those are big words. What does he mean by that? He means simply the things that God has planned. God's wisdom, the way that God has determined things. And God's knowledge is actually, what it means here, is not like God's smarts, but it means how He knows us. And Paul's overcome by it. He continues and says, how unsearchable His judgments. And he doesn't mean just like courtroom judgments. These are not just judicial judgments, but he means all of the decisions that God makes in the world. They're so far beyond us. They're so much better and so much wiser than we could ever find out on Google. That's what unsearchable means, right? They're so much better than we could imagine. Paul says how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. The actual word there is untraceable. Paul pairs them. Unsearchable and untraceable. And what he's saying to us here in this declaration of praise, is that God is indeed at work in the world and in our life. That this is not some deistic mechanism where God has just wound it up like a clock and walked away. But no, he's actively involved in carrying out his purposes in the world. Untraceable does not mean unknowable. Like I can't follow it. But it means boundless. God is working on a canvas that does not have borders. He is at work in bigger ways than we could have ever asked or imagined. That's what it means when Paul says beyond tracing out. What Paul is reflecting on here is that for you and I, we recognize that we see the bare human events of the world as they happen. But God has always had the bigger picture. In other words, we don't always see how God's plan is being worked out. His saving plan through human history. That's not always clear to us when we pick up the newspaper. The events of our time or even in our daily life. To quote Macbeth, it can all just seem like sound and fury. As you watch the daily news signifying nothing. But God is the author of a greater design. And I like how one commentator put it. He said this, We need God's interpretive binoculars, which will enable us to see aright what he is up to. God is up to something. And in his word and in his son, we get our binoculars. The Holy Spirit helps us to see and to see the grander scene that is playing out on human history. That God has a plan. That he has not forgotten us. That we are not the result of time plus matter plus chance. But we are cherished. We are forgiven. We were chosen before the beginning of time. And it's all of this and more that causes Paul to say, Wow, as he begins this passage. Then secondly, look at the middle portion, verses 34 to 35. The middle is comprised of three rhetorical questions. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him and you'll see these questions are in quotes and that's because Paul is pulling them from the Old Testament which he knew so well and the first two questions come from Isaiah 40:13 Isaiah 40:13 and yet we should keep in mind that when Paul quotes the Old Testament He's referencing not just a single standalone verse, but he knows his listeners, his readers, will have the wider context in mind. He knows that they will call to mind all of Isaiah 40, where it says, earlier in the passage, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. Is God still at work? Yes, he is. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Paul knows, his readers are going to be thinking about this. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Has God walked away? No, he hasn't. And then listen to the rhetorical questions that come in a series here. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the oceans, Isaiah is saying, right here. Or with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens. Imagine that. Galaxy, galaxy, galaxy for God. A handspan. And then listen to this as Isaiah continues. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? You ever stood before the Rocky Mountains? Or weighed the mountains on the scales? And listen to this one last verse from Isaiah. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. America, China, Russia, GDP, billions and trillions, technological advancements, military might. It is dust on the scales. In Isaiah's time, there were great promises that were being spoken over Israel. But they were still captives in Babylon. And the Babylonians were so strong, the dominant global power, and the people of Israel were filled with fear and doubt. Was God still working? Were his promises still true? In Rome, then, as Paul picks up these words, the early church was a drop in the bucket, surrounded by a pagan culture and the imperial cult. Persecution was coming. Was God still at work? Did he still care? And if I could ask you to read one other portion of Scripture this week for Thanksgiving, it would be Isaiah 40. Paul goes to this specific place in Scripture because it absolutely affirms that God is in fact still in control and His promises are sure. His plans may be untraceable. For the human mind, but his ways are always good, and no power on earth can sway them. And I bet there are those among us here today who need this reminder. His plans for you right now might seem untraceable. You're not sure where he's leading, you're going through perhaps a really hard stretch, or just a season of transition that has you uncertain. But His ways for you and your family are good. And no power on earth or hell can separate you from His love. Paul says, Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who am I? Who's been His counselor? And then he says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And that third question is a line from the book of Job. I love how the Lord Weaves in you know what our kids are looking at, and then our grown-ups. We just talked about Job with Katie, didn't we? It's a quote from Job 41:11. And again, the wider context comes to mind as we remember that Job was a man experiencing suffering, and in his suffering, he begins to accuse God of being unjust. and he begins to doubt God's wisdom. And the quote that Paul uses is taken from God's response to Job's complaint. And it's where God is essentially reminding Job, Job, it's all grace. The terms of our relationship, Job, are all grace. You can't pull out your pocketbook or calculator. And I want you to try and keep track. This week, as we head towards Black Friday and into the Christmas shopping season, Try to keep track of how many times you hear a Christmas ad say you deserve something. I've already heard it this past week. You deserve this car. You deserve this gift. You deserve the best that money can buy. And we could start to be convinced by this noise and almost approach our relationship with God like that, like based on our pretty good behavior, more good than bad, that we deserve a nice pat on the back. We deserve to have nice things. And Paul reminds us it just doesn't work like that. You can't bring that math to the equation. Who's ever given to God that God would need to repay them, that God owes you something? It's all grace. It's all Jesus. It is all his righteousness that is given to me by faith and faith alone. And that's what takes Paul into this final verse of praise as we head into the home stretch. Verse 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The first half of that verse is about the centrality of God in all creation. In fact, each of those prepositions is unique and says something different. So let's break it down and peel back a layer. Here's what it's saying. From him means he is our source. Through him means he's our sustainer. And for him means he's our goal. And I invite you to turn that into a question as you search your own heart, and you ask things like, do I know that Jesus is my source and my sustainer and my goal? That He is my past, present, and future? Because that's what He is, it says, for all creation, including for me. And once that has sunk in, As our frame of reference, all that's left is doxology, which is just a big word for worship. All that's left is to give him our praise. And Paul finishes there saying, to him be the glory forever. And I hope and pray that for you and I, that when we get to the end of this day, let's try it today, that you put your head back on your pillow, you collapse into bed at the end of a long day. And you simply say, to God be the glory forever. Lord, you gave me another day. And Lord, my life is laying before you on this bed is here to say, I praise you, Lord. I thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. That's Romans 11. And I want to give you something based on this text to think about this week. I'd like to offer these three questions to take home with you. What is my wow? What is my who am I? And what is my praise? What is my wow? What is my who am I? And what is my praise? Can we answer those questions this week for Thanksgiving? Can we declare that the ways of God are wonderful and worthy of all our praise. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.